0: Hello and welcome to the Hutong Hero. I'm your host, Ryan Price, and today we're going to discuss brain implants again. This might be a reoccurring theme here on the show as time moves on and we just see more of this kind of matrix style way of living coming to fruition. It's kind of crazy how, you know, what we saw in movies X amount of years ago, in just this short amount of time, is becoming a reality. So, what's going on with brain implants? Well, in the U.S., they're being used now to fight drug addiction. We're going to talk about a specific case that's happening regarding a 33-year-old male who struggled with drug addiction his whole life, the better part of a decade, and now he's having this little pacemaker put into his head that's supposed to help him fight drug addiction. Now, when I first heard this story, I was a bit, I I guess I didn't understand. You know, like so many of us, I thought this was a question of willpower. How could this person need some electronic device to help him make choices? You know, what's the whole point of being able to make a choice or being able to do the right thing if we have something in our brains that tells us what to do or helps us make this choice? So this was my initial reaction looking at this story. But then I started to do some research and understand drug facts. So before we get into this, I want to read something that the NHS published about drug addiction to better paint the picture here of maybe what's going on with these people. So, what is drug addiction? Addiction is a chronic disease characterized by drug seeking and the use that is compulsive or difficult to control, despite harmful consequences. So it's almost in this, just in this sentence, it's being characterized as like an OCD thing, right? Obsessive-compulsive disorder when somebody sees something out of order and they just can't rest. They can't relax, they can't do anything until this order is restored. So the initial decision to take drugs is voluntary for most people, but repeated drug use can lead to brain changes that challenge an addicted person's self-control and interfere with their ability to resist intense urges to take drugs. So over time, taking drugs, it seems like it just becomes easier, right? The brain changes can be persistent, which is why drug addiction is considered a relapsing disease. People in recovery from drug use disorders are at an increased risk for returning to drug use even after years of not taking the drug. So drug addiction isn't something that, oh, it's just in my system. I go through withdrawals. If I can make it through that period, then I'm okay. It seems like it's something that will always be there something that you constantly have to be mindful of. So it's common for a person to relapse, but relapse doesn't mean that treatment doesn't work. As with other chronic health conditions, treatment should be ongoing and should be adjusted based on how the patient responds. Treatment plans need to be reviewed often and modified to fit the patient's changing needs. This is something that needs to be obviously treated uh, X amount of time. It's not just something that, again, you make it through this period after the withdrawal, you've gone three months without using the substance, you're like, hey, I'm a changed man. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be how it works. So another interesting piece of information that I wanna share with you here is, why do some people become addicted to drugs? while others don't. No one factor can predict if a person will be addicted to drugs. A combination of factors influence risk of addiction. The more risk factors a person has, the greater the chance that taking drugs can lead to addiction. For example, let's discuss biology. The genes that people are born with account for about half of a person's risk for addiction gender, ethnicity, and the presence of other mental disorders may also influence risk for drug use and addiction. Maybe it's not all our fault. Maybe we're a little predisposed to having a rough time fighting addiction. Okay. Also, environment. A person's environment includes many different influences, from family to friends to economic status and quality of life factors such as peer pressure, physical and sexual abuse, early exposure to drugs, stress and parental guidance can greatly affect a person's likelihood of drug use and addiction. This one I can I can sympathize with. In my life I've seen a lot of people fall victim to these kind of things because of the current state of their life. Maybe somebody passed away, somebody that was really close to them. Maybe life is really stressful. Maybe they just broke up with their girlfriend. This kind of environment that makes you just say all is lost and I really don't care what happens to me. I think when you're in that position, that seems to be the strongest point that maybe you're open to trying these things because the value of your life just isn't isn't there in your mind. So another one here that we have is development. Genetic and environmental factors interact with critical development stages in a person's life to affect addiction risk. Although taking drugs at any age can lead to addiction, the earlier that drug use begins, the more likely it will progress into addiction. This is particularly problematic for teens because areas in the brains that control decision-making, judgment, and self-control are still developing. Teens may be especially prone to risky behaviors, including trying drugs kids just in general don't have enough life experience to know what they're ruining they don't necessarily think 20 years down the line they don't think 10 years down the line you know they're in high school they're experiencing all this like oh girls or maybe girls are like oh boys you're getting to know yourself on many different levels where you didn't initially know you could be like that so everything's new and why not try something new maybe this is how it starts so The use and abuse of illegal drugs remains a problem in all parts of the world, with an estimated 5.6% of the global population using illegal drugs in 2016. This is stats that are coming from Statista. So the number of people in the U.S. who use select illicit drugs in their lifetime varies by drug type, with almost 124 million people using marijuana at some point in their life and some 14.9 million using methamphetamine at some point in their life 124 million people using marijuana you know marijuana is one of those drugs that might be easier for people to start using a lot of doctors have prescribed it for things like ptsd and a lot of other illnesses so this drug has had some positive light shed on it and it's not just all negative but then you have something like methamphetamine which just seems to be all bad and uh, another example here is the number of people who consumed heroin during the past year in the united states increased almost yearly from 2007 to 2016. it's more than just meth it's more than just marijuana it's also things like heroin and the thing is maybe maybe marijuana is not so bad because Again, you see doctors prescribing this. Why would doctors prescribe a drug that's just going to ruin your life? That doesn't make sense. So we might see the increasing numbers or high numbers of marijuana happening because of that. But when it comes to methamphetamine, no doctor has said, you should take meth. Hey, Chuck, I know work's really been a drag. Here, here's some meth or (laughs) let alone heroin, right? But those numbers are increasing people are seeking and using illegal drugs drugs that have no benefit and the scariest thing is again remember that the sooner you do drugs the more hard your life might be in staying away from drugs right that's what that nhs article had said so the number of substance abuse treatment facilities in the u.s which focus on drug and alcohol abuse was reported to be at around 13,585 in 2017. But this is a decrease from the 14,399 facilities reported in the previous year. So this is almost a drop of a thousand facilities. First of all, that number is not really that high for the amount of people that are getting involved with drugs, but on top of that, we're seeing that in one year, Uh, almost a thousand facilities have been closed so maybe it's hard to get the help you need and uh, these places just don't seem to be expanding with the problem to help people that need it but rather decreasing so what's that about Down Dog by Wes Hutchinson. Now let's discuss this BBC article that was posted on November 8th, 2019. It's discussing a surgery that a Jared Buckhalter had who's 33 years old. He's struggled with substance abuse for more than a decade with many relapses and overdoses. Now he's going to have surgery. The lead doctor on this surgery is Ali Razai who's describing the device as a pacemaker for the brain. The doctor has added that it was not a consumer technology and should not be used for augmenting humans. So a little background on Mr. Buckhalter. He had his operation on the 1st of November at the West Virginia University Medicine Hospital. Three more volunteers have also signed up for this procedure. It starts with a series of brain scans. Surgery follows with doctors making a small hole in the skull in order to insert a tiny 1 millimeter electrode in a specific area of the brain that regulates impulses such as addiction, and self-control, a battery is inserted under the collarbone and brain activity will be remotely monitored by the team of physicians, psychologists, and addiction experts to see if the cravings recede. So-called deep brain stimulation, DBS, has been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for treating a range of conditions, including Parkinson's disease, epilepsy, and obsessive-compulsive disorder. Some 180,000 people around the world have brain implants already. This is the first time DBS has been approved for drug addiction, and it has been a complex trial involving many teams, including ethicists, psychologists, and many regulators. Over the next two years, the patients will be closely monitored. Dr. Rizai told the BBC, Addiction is complex. There are a range of social dynamics at play and genetic elements and some individuals will have a lack of access to treatments so their brain will slowly change and they will have more cravings. This treatment is for those who have failed every other treatment, whether that is medicine, behavioral therapy, social interventions. It is a very rigorous trial with oversight from ethicists and regulators and many other governing bodies. The doctor has pointed to figures which suggests overdoses are the main cause of death for those under 50 in the United States. Over half of patients relapse. We need to find solutions because it's a life-threatening situation and something which impacts families and loved ones. West Virginia has the highest age-adjusted rate of drug overdose deaths involving opioids in the U.S. In 2017, earlier this year, the U.K.'s Royal Society warned of the ethical dangers of merging machines and humans and were especially concerned about the plans of technology firms such as Facebook and Elon Musk's Neuralink, which have both announced research to develop commercial products. Neuralink has now applied to start human trials in the United States with electrodes inserted into the brain of patients with paralysis, and Facebook is supporting research that aims to come up with a headset that can transcribe words at a rate of 100 words per minute just by thinking. Dr. Rezai is skeptical about consumer tech firms getting involved in this area. I think it is very good for science and we need more science to advance the field and learn more about the brain. This is not a consumer technology. When it comes to applications, it needs to be heavily regulated. This is not like getting a flu shot or a tattoo. Surgery has inherent risks and is not trivial. It is only for those with chronic disease who have failed all other treatments and are without hope. In the next part of the show, I wanna analyze this and talk with you about whether this is a good thing moving forward or whether this is a bad thing. Train to Mars by Dan Leibowitz. Now let's discuss Neuralinks. So, when I was thinking about this, I decided that I should probably list what I thought was good and then what I thought was bad in how I feel about this implementation of technology in our lives in such an intimate way. So, if I were to look at Neuralinks in a good way, I would say that if they can help with addiction, they can probably help with things like obsessive compulsive disorder, which really affects people's lives in a negative way. They have trouble just doing daily routines that normal people can just breeze through. Because for them, if they don't do one thing, or if this one thing is out of whack, it really puts a kink in their whole day. Or something like attention deficit disorder, where people cannot seem to stay on one train of thought. They're constantly jumping from one to the other, not necessarily finishing a train of thought in its entirety. And this might make things like school or focusing on a task much harder than it is for somebody else. So if Neuralynx can help with something like that, I see that as being a good thing. But uh, as I was thinking about it, and how this can somehow affect choices being made, which I feel like addiction largely has to deal with making negative choices on a regular basis, this might lead to something as well that inhibits us from making poor decisions. If you have a neural link in your head, if it can stop something like addiction, what if it can stop stuff like stealing, or hurting someone else, or even not being environmentally conscious? Maybe this could be an enforcer of one's conscience itself, being able to make the harder decisions easier. But what about the bad? I guess, for me, the bad is that can we really not make the right choice anymore? Have we really sold our free will to technology because we just are unable to say no to certain things? And if we implement this kind of technology, will we forget how to stay strong? How to be the person that says no to bad things? I mean, look at something like Microsoft Word or just Spellcheck in general on, on so many applications and, and now in so many parts of our lives. I feel like... You You know, when I was learning to spell before the days of this kind of technology i was much more capable at knowing how to spell a word rather than relying on a piece of technology to help me spell a word now it's so much harder for me to remember just simple spelling if i took that example and applied it here does that mean that one day i will just really struggle if i don't have this piece of technology to be able to make the better life choices will i have sold that right to technology will i have given that right to technology i don't know i also Think that struggle makes us stronger and that's easy for someone to say who isn't struggling with really hard mental disorders but at the same time I feel like everybody on this planet has struggled in one way or another with really hard life issues in these struggles like let's say anxiety I feel like though it's really hard if we can best it then we come out of that situation so much stronger in humanity's uh, chase to always be happy and to always have no problems You know, that that other side of the coin, that not always happy, that sometimes anxiety, that sometimes whatever that negative thing is for whoever it pertains to. Without that, will we really ever be able to appreciate what we have? Will it ever be good enough? And if this kind of technology can help affect our choices, one easy question that anyone can ask is, will free will be a thing of the past? If free will is so heavily influenced by a piece of technology, then will it be special? Will you be special? Will you be different? Will you be an individual? And who gets to and how do we draw a line of how this is used? I guess my last piece of criticism regarding this kind of technology being implemented in our thoughts and how we make choices is do we really know what we have until we've lost it? Do we have to lose the ability of what it takes to make the right choice to be able to appreciate how we got there. The right choice isn't easy to make, but there's a reason for that. That reason is not so easily explainable, but for some reason it means something. And So maybe we don't really know what we have until we lose the ability to make a choice. Anyways, that's it for the Hutong Hero. I hope you enjoyed the show, and don't forget to subscribe.